Well, good morning, guys. We are so excited, as it's been said, to have our kids worshiping with us this morning. And kids, to those of you that helped with Welcome Team, thank you so much for doing that. You did a great job greeting people with the love of Jesus this morning. Well, we are so excited to come into week two of our four-week series in the book of Jonah. And if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with the story. Kids, Jonah's the guy who got swallowed by a what? You got it. You got it. All right. Well, Jonah, instead of obeying God, he decided to run away. Now, when I was around the age of five, I tried to run away once. I don't remember why. I have great parents. But something upset me. And so I packed up my suitcase and said my goodbyes, and I walked out the door forever. And I got about halfway down the street, and I started wondering where I was actually going to go. Next door was a police officer with German Shepherds, not a great option. Then there was my best friend Allison's house, but her parents would have sent me home. As I started getting towards the end of the street, there was the canal, the one with the alligators. This was southern Louisiana. So before I even got to the end of the street, I gave up, I turned around, and I went back home. Now, kids, don't try this at home. If you get really frustrated with whatever's going on, Miss Priscilla or any one of us would be glad to talk to you about it. Running away is not a good op option. It will only make your problems worse. And this is what Jonah had to learn the hard way. Last week, we saw Jonah run away. God had called him to preach to his enemies, the Ninevites. And what did Jonah do? He ran in the opposite direction. Then God brought a big storm that almost sank the ship. But when Jonah had the sailors throw him overboard, the storm stopped. So that's where we left Jonah last Sunday. It's like a Netflix series where every episode ends on a cliffhanger that just makes you desperate to watch the next episode. So last week, Jonah was in the middle of the sea that moments ago had been raging. He's surrounded by debris from the ship. And together, the runaway prophet and the storm-ravaged cargo are sinking down, down, down through the murky water. And that's where we pick up the story this week. So listen as I read Jonah 1.17 through 2.10. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, can you imagine being swallowed by a giant fish? 
Don't you wish that Jonah had his smartphone with him so that we could all watch the TikTok video of it? Wouldn't that be something to see? Well, in college, I did summer missions in Spain, and I fell in love with the city of Barcelona. And the famous architect, Anthony Gaudí, lived and worked there. He designed this one apartment. He was a master at using curved lines and images from nature in his designs. So he designed this apartment where an entire floor of the apartment simulated being inside of a whale. They call it the whale attic. Now this one, as you can see in the pictures, was spacious and clean, no fish guts, no cramped spaces. I could live there for three days and three nights, no problem. But for Jonah, his was a different story. He has been through a storm, he's almost drowned, and he's now in real danger because of his own bad choices. And when we make bad choices, when we intentionally step away from God's good plan for our marriage, when we fail to honor our parents, when we fail to show God's love to others, there are very real consequences to our actions. We find ourselves in painful situations of our undoing. So as Jonah is sinking down, God sends a big fish to swallow him. Now at first, this might seem like punishment. God is adding insult to injury. He's adding devouring to drowning. But here's what's interesting. This giant monster of the sea is not punishment. He's part of the rescue operation. Not punishment, but preservation. This rescue is probably not the one that Jonah was dreaming of. I imagine he was hoping for this big luxury cruise ship to come on by and a lifeguard straight out of Baywatch to come and to deliver him safely to a nice warm cabin. But then Jonah wouldn't have had an opportunity to truly experience the extraordinary grace of God. See, Jonah is resistant to sharing God's lifeline with his enemies. But when he finds himself in need of grace, it's a different story. A Jonah who has been brought low has been, at least to some degree, humbled by his own need for God. Jonah needed to truly experience God's grace himself before he could share it with others. I mean, it's one thing to know about grace up here, right? That's enough to maybe make us a nice person or maybe someone with good behavior. It's quite another thing to experience grace in here. And sometimes it takes coming to the end of our rope to truly experience the depths and the magnitude of God's grace. Now, maybe you think I'm about to ask you all that we could pray to have God bring us to the end of the rope, but instead, Let's all try to live vicariously through Jonah this week and understand that grace changes everything. Let's learn from Jonah's experience. So our goal for today um, is by living through Jonah to experience God's grace in such a real and a profound way that it overflows in us and then spills out to others. In this sermon, I want us to see that our own experience of God's grace fuels a desire to share God's grace with others. So let's look together at this prayer that Jonah prayed from inside the belly of the fish and experienced God's grace there. Now as we follow Jonah through this experience, the first thing we're going to discover is that God's grace follows us into the darkness. If you're taking notes, God's grace follows us into the darkness. Jonah's in a really dangerous situation. It's about as bad as it can possibly get. Now, if we were to chart Jonah's course, both literally and figuratively, Jonah is plummeting downward. 
Even beginning in chapter 1 last week, we're told that Jonah went down to Jonah, to Joppa. Then he boarded the ship, which literally means to go down onto the ship. Then he went below deck. Then had the sailors toss him down into the water. It's like Jonah was sinking downward even before he ever hit the water. In fact, one guy pointed out that when you turn your back on God, the only way you can go is down. So we're told that Jonah sinks about as far as you could possibly go. The realm of the dead that you see there in verse 2 is a place the Hebrews called Sheol. It was a place that they believed the departed souls went that was deep under the earth's surface. And so Jonah was inside the fish, which he says is like the realm of the dead, for three days and three nights. Now, for some of us, we may picture uh, a prisoner who's in the movies and they're marking tally marks on the wall of their prison cell, counting how many days they've been in captivity. And for them, it's just an arbitrary number, but they want to keep track of the days. Well, for Jonah, this three days and three nights is no arbitrary number. It has a special meaning for the original readers of this book. It's referring to someone who's already dead and buried, perhaps with flowers even starting to grow on their grave. In the ancient world, the phrase three days and three nights meant long enough to be definitely dead. It comes from the belief that the soul's trip to the afterworld took three days and three nights to get there. In fact, Jesus used this same phrase in Matthew 12 to say that he would be buried for three days and three nights before his resurrection. Jesus was all the way dead, and then God brought him back to life. So when this great fish swallowed Jonah... It was a death sentence. Jonah fully expected that he was about to die. He's at the lowest point in his misery. And, all, and even there, right in the midst of it, in verse 4, we begin to experience a little glimmer of hope. As Jonah's drowning in his despair, he says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. At his very lowest point, Jonah remembers God. At first, he's been completely self-focused and concerned only about his dangerous descent, where his gaze had been focused downward at uh, at the increasing disaster that he's brought upon himself. Suddenly, he remembers that our hope can only be found in our relationship with God. And so he lifts his eyes. He shifts his focus. Now, have you ever wondered how cats and squirrels can fall such a great distance and always land on their feet? I promise this is relevant. We're going to get back to Jonah in just a moment. But Mark Rober is a former NASA engineer and an inventor who designed a ninja warrior course for squirrels in his backyard to keep squirrels away from his bird feeder. And he demonstrates how squirrels always land on their feet. There may have been some catapulting of squirrels across his backyard. And maybe you've guessed it. It has a lot to do with where the squirrels fix their gaze. So check out this little clip. Here's the slow-mo and see if you can spot the two critical things he does to make sure he lands feet down. Did you catch it? The first critical moment is right here. He's already done the predictive math and he's locked his head on the spot where he plans to land. And now his head will not lose that lock the whole way down. What's crazy is the time it takes him to do all the predictive math to know exactly where he will land and to lock his head is 300 milliseconds. That's exactly this long, literally less than the blink of an eye. (laughs) Now, it's totally worth your 20 minutes this afternoon to watch the entire video, but let's get back to Jonah now. In verse 4, 
Jonah finally locks his gaze on the God that he had been avoiding until now. He'd been trying to escape from God's presence, but now his gaze returns there once more. Now his physical circumstances have not changed, but his perspective is starting to undergo a radical shift. He discovers that God's grace has followed him into the darkness, so he fixes his eyes on God. Now isn't this just like us? There's something about human nature that prompts us to look to God when we're in distress. Like Jonah, maybe we may not be yet in a full state of repentance. Maybe we just want the pain to stop and the descent to end. In our desperation, we turn to God. Maybe we're just seeking physical relief or to have our material needs met. Maybe we've only turned to prayer as a last resort. But God, in his grace, attends to our spiritual needs as well. Now, Jonah realizes that he can't stop this downward plunge on his own. Don't, doesn't that feel like what happens to us sometimes when we get into our own mess and we try to fix it and we only end up making things worse? We're like an insect that's trapped in a spider web and the more we flail about, the more tangled we get. So Jonah sinks even deeper. When Jonah has reached the bottom in verse 6, look what happens. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever, but you Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. There he is, he's barred in like a prisoner. His downward descent has finally ended. His running away from God has finally stopped. And it's time for him to have a true encounter with God, where he might expect judgment for this imprisonment to go on forever. He's completely surprised by God's grace. God has not left him to face the consequences of his sin alone. God hasn't abandoned his plans for Jonah and gone off to find a more willing prophet. Even in our worst moments, God is a safe refuge. Psalm 46.1 says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And that's exactly what Jonah needed, a very present help in his trouble. And God's grace had followed him all the way down into the darkness. So as Jonah realized his own vulnerability, he discovered that his last hope was in God. And now, he begins to praise God slow, solely on the basis of this hope. Jonah's still making his bed in the depths. He can't go any farther down, but he has put his trust in God's grace. He's begun to praise God even before he has any assurance that God is going to rescue him. You may notice that we've reached a turning point. Jonah had been on this downward trajectory, sinking as low as he can go. But what now looked like a straight line to the bottom is starting to make a turn. It's at this point that we begin to discover that God's grace frees us and forms us into his likeness. It's at this point that Jonah starts to experience a type of rebirth. In fact, it's interesting. When we first meet the fish in Jonah 1.17, and when we will last see the fish in Jonah 2.10, the Hebrew term that's used for fish there is a male one. But during this prayer, while Jonah is inside the fish, the Hebrew word that's used here for fish is a female one. In verse 2, the word distress was actually a term that was used for the pains of childbirth when a woman was in labor. And the phrase, the depths of Sheol, the way they phrased it in the Hebrew was really the womb of Sheol. Do you hear all these different birth analogies here? 
Jonah enters into the belly of the fish fully expecting to die. But instead of a grave, the belly of the fish turns out to be a womb from which he's delivered a changed person. It's not a mortuary, it's labor and delivery. Now, when we get to the end of our own resources, when all our efforts are frustrated and it seems like everything is falling apart, that's when we finally learn how to depend on the grace of God. As Jesus said, the one who loses their life will find it. So as God's grace begins to give new birth to Jonah, he begins to see things in a new light. Look with me at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols. Now this term, worthless idols, it literally means empty nothings. So those who cling to empty nothings turn away from God's love for them. Now you might wonder, who is Jonah condemning here for idol worship? We might assume that it's Jonah's enemies, those wicked people that God's calling to repent. Or we might assume it's those sailors from chapter 1 who prayed to all their different little g gods to be rescued from the raging storm. But I think Jonah is finally starting to turn the mirror on himself here. Jonah's the one who's been unfaithful to God. Jonah clung to his own biases rather than opening up his arms to the mission that God had for them. Jonah is the one who decided to run away, turning away from his loving God and literally running in the other direction. But Jonah's learned that we cannot grab the life preserver of God's grace if we are clinging to empty nothings, if we're holding on to the things that will sink us. That's one powerful way that God's grace forms us into the likeness of Jesus. See, when we've experienced this deep, abundant grace of God, we don't have to be afraid to turn that mirror on ourselves. We know that we're a beloved child of God. We know that we'll receive grace in place of condemnation when we repent. We know that life in the pattern of Jesus is the best possible life for us. And so that frees us to do some honest self-examination. It assures us that when we let go of those empty nothings, we won't be left empty-handed. And when we experience that abundant grace of Christ for ourselves, it also enables us to extend that same grace of Christ to others. And that's how Jonah can say in verse 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will make good, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. See, verse 9 is really the climax of this whole prayer. I love that Jonah has come full circle to shouts of grateful praise. Isn't that what God's been calling him to do all along? To share with others the abundant grace that Jonah has received? True evangelism, it doesn't come from obligation or from duty, but from understanding the depths of God's grace that has been freely given to us. It comes from a place of transformation where God has formed us increasingly into the likeness and the ways of Jesus. Evangelism is a shout of grateful praise, just like Jonah is doing here. Now, it's interesting to know that most of this uh, prayer that Jonah's praying inside the belly of the fish is actually borrowed from the book of Psalms. Jonah was familiar with the Psalms from regular habits of worship. And in his time of need, they gave him the words that he needed to truly express himself fully to God. You know that we recently had a team that re returned from a mission trip to Kenya. And one of the stories that my friend Dave told me was that they had this really cool time of prayer with the Kenyan brothers and sisters. And it went on for 20 minutes. And he said the Kenyans were just quoting huge volumes of scripture back to God in their prayer. 
They were facing an Ebola outbreak. They were dealing with recent political unrest. They were facing the enormous challenges of ministry in the year ahead. And yet, they had a shout of grateful praise that stretched on and on and on from Scripture. At the end of verse 9, Jonah says that what is really the main point of the entire Bible, salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah started out with a head knowledge of God's grace. I'm sure that he had experienced God's grace before, but sometimes we get lost in ourselves and in the busyness of our lives, and we just lose sight of the transforming power of God's grace. It's not just a one-time experience. But as we lock our sights on God, God's grace is the fuel that frees us and forms us to make the Christian life possible. God regularly frees us from the problems we've created for ourselves, from those empty nothings that weigh us down and hold us captive. Now at the end of Jonah's prayer, he's finally released from his underwater prison. Once again, God commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And as disgusting as that sounds, let's not miss the point. Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, which should have been certain death. He was experiencing the consequences of his own actions. But he learned that salvation comes from the Lord. Now this word for salvation in verse 9 is the Hebrew term Yeshua. The names Joshua, uh, Hosea, Isaiah, and Jesus all come from this same Hebrew word. And the message of each is the same. Salvation comes from the Lord. Friends, it all points to Jesus. In Matthew 12, Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah. He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. For Jesus, just like for Jonah, that was not the end. What looked like the end was actually the beginning. What looked like death was actually new life. And just as God was setting Jonah free, Christ sets us free, even while we're still in our own sinful state. Over and over again in the Christian life, friends, we're going to mess up. And as we repent, we experience God's grace in new, powerful, fresh ways again and again. And now Jesus is calling the church to share in that same work. Later in the book of Matthew, Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, that's Sheol, the realm of the dead, will not overcome it. Friends, we've experienced both the humility and the wonder of being freed and formed by Christ's grace. And like Jonah, God is calling us to let that grace overflow in us and through us to others. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful as we stand in awe of your grace that you offer freely to us again and again. Lord, like Jonah, may we look to you, may we fix our eyes on you when it seems like we are at the end of our rope. And Lord, we know that you rescue us. We know that salvation comes from the Lord and may we see you do it again and again. And Lord, as we experience the wonder and the humility of your amazing grace, would you allow that to overflow in our hearts? And God, would you enable us and encourage us to share that grace with others? 
It's in the powerful name of our Savior who overcame death and brings new life that we pray. Amen.